What's up all you delinquents? We've got a chal episode for you today with Justin Khan, Jay Khan, Jay Man, founder of Twitch, Justin TV, prominent angel investor, podcaster, vlogger, and last but not least, friend. Today's conversation, it is going to be wild. I'm recording this intro beforehand, so I actually don't know if it's going to be wild, but I think it will. So Justin, why don't you come on in? Have a seat because we're doing this one in person, post-COVID, PC. And if you want more conversations like this, lightly touch that subscribe button on YouTube. We just started uploading things to YouTube. Lightly hit that subscribe button also on your podcast players, the little ring thing on YouTube, the like button. Just lightly brush them all if you like conversations at the intersection of entrepreneurship philosophy and technology so without further delay let's get into it with our old friend justin khan this is below the line jay man thank you for coming on the podcast this is numero trace part three the third time i got to kick it off and then i did your first live one and then now here i am again you can't get rid of me it's actually even better because now man a lot's changed in the last two years from the first appearance to second yeah to now we're here in la how, how long are you in la for just a couple of weeks yeah just what's expo- experimenting exploring it's, it's great down here this is the place to be plus i want to do all these content collabs you know and everybody's down here oh yeah 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 we were chatting the other day you were saying that uh i was asking you between content and investing what's what are you most excited about each day yeah I, it's interesting i'm most excited about well it goes in waves you know i i I like investing a lot and I like creating content a lot and in different ways. The content, it's, it's very activating. You know, I have this YouTube channel uh, that if people don't follow, they should go subscribe awesome. to my YouTube yep. channel. Um, Justin Khan vlog. I guess you just search for Justin Khan on the, uh, we'll link, we'll link to it. And yeah. we're about to go film some stuff for that. Yeah. We're going to go uh, make a video after, after this. So yeah. my YouTube channel, it's like um, me just start off as just telling startup stories and kind of, giving startup advice and then now I'm like making vlogs and making different kinds of videos and experimenting a lot. And it's a very creative process for me. Just how do you tell a story or tell a narrative in video format, you know, and how do I, I've, not, I've never done that before. I never thought of, you And know, YouTube format. Yeah. Not YouTube just video, format. but also YouTube format. We were talking a little bit about it, but what, when you create it, are you thinking YouTube first? Are you thinking Instagram first? I want the nitty gritty of, of yeah, how yeah. you think through an idea to hitting publish on one of the video platforms. Yeah. So I think, I think of it as YouTube first. Uh, Sometimes I'll test the ideas on TikTok, And uh, you know, if I talk about certain topic, like how to invest or something like that, I might like make a video on TikTok That's a short one minute video, see if it does well. And that's just really me holding the camera in my face and talking about startup stuff and then, or wellness, whatever um, the things I'm into. And then if I like the idea, I'll make it into a YouTube video. And usually there's a couple different formats of YouTube videos that I've, I've been doing. One is uh, telling a story about something in the past. So I'll like say, here's how Twitch got acquired by Google um, or sorry, by Amazon, or here's how we almost got acquired by Google, which is a separate video. And I'll, those ones I start off like very scripted and I would just kind of tell the, I'd write it out and then I'd tell the story from that. And they did pretty well. Some of those early ones did pretty well. That was like in January, so five months ago. Yeah, dude, you have like... Of 130,000 subs. Dude. So it's it's all right, yeah. Yeah, for five months, that's... 
That's not bad. Yeah, it's not bad. Awesome. It, it could be better, you know, but yeah. it, like it's all it's all good. Like, and if you're discovering us through the search algorithm with Justin, hit that sub button. Yeah, on below the line. As smash well. sub, so yeah. smash subscribe, and and hit that post notification, <laughs> the new like video notifications. Yeah, yeah, that's right. So start off with very scripted, and I was you know I was film this footage is like 25 minutes or something telling a story. And then like the editor would cut it down and put in like memes and, you know, graphics and transitions and stuff. And, uh, that was cool, but they were a little bit obviously scripted, right? I was reading on it like a auto cue or teleprompter and it was like, okay. And so people started saying like, you so I, they thought it was like a little less authentic than it could be. And so I started just making videos where I just turn the camera on, I tell the story or riff on something just, you know, off the top of my head and um, with the magic of YouTube editing, you can edit that into something that's like actually reasonable. And so I started doing those and then I, now I've been making more vlogs where I just take the camera around and it's like whatever I'm doing, you know, like if I, I'll make something in LA, like I'm coming to LA meeting with all these different, you know, influencers and creators and, and maybe I'll show some behind the scenes of that. Or I went to Miami and um, I did a video where I'm like giving my, uh, car away to uh, my business partner Robin. Like my, I ship my car there, and I'm like surprising him with it. Oh. Uh, and so, just making a vlog of that, you know, just be random stuff. And then I try to work in some startup or wellness related themes, like the stuff that I know about. I just like riff on it in the vlog or whatever. Does when did this uh, in your head start of wanting to create content? I guess I mean that both in terms of the more immediate version. But then also, obviously, your tech start was just, or actually, no, after the calendar app, you had yeah, so, so, Justin TV. So I've been thinking about content for a long time, right? I started Justin TV where it was us doing a 24-7 live stream back in 2006, 15 years ago. And then about eight years after that, I um, did this other, you know, I started making content on Snapchat. And... Uh, making like startup advice on Snapchat. And that was very novel at the time. And then after that, you know, then I stopped that and then I made, you know, this is the third wave where I'm making like YouTube videos and, and maybe some TikTok videos. And I would say each time it comes kind of randomly, you know, it's like, I never really loved, I, I wasn't like someone who was like, oh, I always want to be creating content. I want to make movies or something like that. It was more, the first time it was kind of like, this is a way for people. I, I had this semblance of an idea that social media would exist. Like people are interested in following people back in 2006. And so if you just showed someone a window into someone else's life, they would be interested in that. And you could make somebody into a celebrity. And that would be valuable, like in terms of advertising or you know creating businesses or whatever. So that was the idea behind Justin TV. And I think I was right. The problem is like a 24-7 live stream is not interesting. You have to like make it more edited and, and chopped up, you know, mm. into more digestible parts. And so... I think the spiritual successor to that was like the stories feature and, you know, Instagram and Snapchat. It's like showing people this window into like someone's life and, you know, celebrities are all, they're all doing stories now and, you know, people kind of can see that and they get to feel like they get to know them. Right. Yeah. So then the Snapchat side, it was more of like an experiment. You know, I, I heard about Snapchat stories and I was like, Oh, this is kind of like the idea we had for Justin TV, but way better implemented. And so I it, creating content for it was more of an experiment to understand the platform and then I got into it and I was, you know, using it and having fun with it. I stopped because it kind of stopped growing and I felt like I had just started a new startup. So I was kind of switched focus. Um, but I always really enjoyed it. And then this most recent time I got on, into YouTube. Well, I, first I got, I was making a podcast and I started making the podcast because I recorded someone else's podcast. Well, it wasn't yours, but it was some, someone else's. And then the 
company that was making the podcast was like, oh, you should have a podcast too. Mm -hmm. And so I was kind of like, oh, you'll do all the work and edit it for me. Like, I'll just, all I have to do is have this conversation. Like, I'll try it. And so I, I did that. I was having fun with that. And then I was trying to hire someone to help me produce the podcast after like six months. It was you know kind of working decently. And I um, recruited uh, the person. I was like looking to hire someone. And then the person, who, one of the people who I ended up hiring, she was like, you should do YouTube. And I was very resistant at first, but she kind of convinced me it would be easy to try it out. And so uh, her name's Jen. She um, just convinced me to try YouTube. And I started. And was she your producer for the podcast or just. Well, she actually hired someone else to produce the podcast, but I was like, okay, I'll work with you on producing a YouTube channel. Mm. And so she was the one who kind of introduced me to YouTube, this idea that I can create YouTube content. And then I've, I've had a lot of fun with it. So I'm, I, for me, it's like always about being open to new ideas and experiences and just trying. And it sounds things. like you're also keenly aware of just different type of content for different tools and really yeah, I interested think it, in the actual tool versus I think it's interesting to understand like what are the formats that work and like understanding you know because I've been the content platform creator and creating like a platform is interesting because you're creating this space for people to try different ideas and now I'm like do on the other side where I'm like trying different ideas and seeing what's working and understanding how the platforms work is interesting. And like how platforms work is ultimately it's a combination of the technology, but it's also human psychology. Like what do people like to consume and like how do they interact with the content and engage with it? Right. And so, you know, with YouTube, for example, just understanding, Oh, there's this content shift that's going on. And, you know, I mean, it's probably obvious to people who are in content, but for me, it was even as somebody who created, helped create Twitch, you know, it wasn't obvious. It's like the, you can now edit the acceptability on like how authentic the content is, is much higher than like, let's say TV, but then also how you edit, it can be edited super tight, mm. right? It's, and so, you know, I might take, if I spitball something about investing in startups into the camera, you can take, you know, if I, if I don't uh, say it exactly right you know say the lines are right or there's like stumbles in my sentence you can just cut that out and like edit like one sentence together from multiple clips and that's like considered okay right like right. in tv that would never happen right but it's it's like fine on youtube and Even on a podcast that would be hard yeah it'd it be hard to listen to if there's the shift in and you know intonation in the voice yeah well usually like you would do it in a way that it's not you know super obvious but yeah i've seen i've seen a lot of that where if you look at someone like Emma Chamberlain's videos where she's just riffing in front of the camera 90% of the time, it's like she'll edit, you know, she's probably recording like 20 minutes of content and then just editing out this like great four minutes or whatever, you know? And are you, how involved are you in the editing process? Do you like just, I don't do it. I just punt it, right? Because yeah. I don't actually care that much about the editing. I like, I have an intuitive understanding of like, if I just say enough interesting things, then like someone can edit it into like something that's pretty good and that's what's worked so far so I actually i do get the draft back and then i usually make some slight like feedback but it's very light usually how much time are you spending per week uh, on the content creation side i do like one podcast a week on average i mean usually they're clumped up and that's about 90 minutes and the podcast uh my quest podcast is like kind of telling other it's a, a guest style podcast mm -hmm. so kind of like uh below the line and um bring people in and then just it's a, for me, it's a chance to have a conversation with someone. Right? Oh, it's the best. Yeah. Even if I don't, at first I was like, if, if nobody listens to this, I'm, I'm actually don't not even going to look at the stats so that I can see that I'm doing it for intrinsic reasons. Mm -hmm. And after I did it for a couple months, I was like, Oh, I just, even if nobody looks at this, I, it's awesome to be able to have this conversation with someone 
where I wouldn't normally sit down with someone and have a 90 minute conversation about them. Right? Yeah, or there's stuff. like no social convention to allow. For yeah. 90 minute conversation, no phones. Yeah. And it's just us. And it's going deep into, I feel like there's, you turn on the mic for someone and, or you put a mic in front of someone and, and it's like the, I don't know what it is, but the honesty light comes out. Yeah, I think it, which is strange because you, you with an audience, you'd think it'd be the opposite, be a little bit more cagey, but maybe it's a feels like some form of catharsis, right? Right. Um, so I do that podcast every week, and then the second thing is making YouTube videos, and they don't take that long actually because I probably record. It depends if I'm like vlogging, then I'll take it with me, and that's kind of while I'm doing stuff. If I am making like a sit down talking head video, then I'll probably spend thirty minutes on it. You know, I'll just put it, set really? it up, yeah. record it, like me riffing on something, and then I'll just ship that footage off. So like eight hours a week, six hours a week on creating content that... It might be like, it might be like five or six hours, yeah. Yeah. It is, it, and it's awesome. Uh, it's great content, both the podcast I love, as well as the, the YouTube content, as well as you have the four-person mm -hmm. um, podcast. Yeah, I have this podcast on my YouTube channel called Only Friends, which is mm -hmm. um, me and some of my other like kind of long like old friends that we have this one chat group, right. That we've had since like 2010, probably, or 2009, whenever there was like multi-person Seibel. Seibel is on it. So CEO of Y Combinator, who's my co-founder of Justin TV. And then Emmett, Emmett who's the yeah. CEO of Twitch now, is co-founder of Justin TV and Twitch. And then uh, we'll, it ro rotates through like whoever from the chat group wants to join. So we got like Tcon, you know, who you yeah. know, uh, who's the co-founder of Scribd and we've been friends with forever. And then, uh, Jamie Quinn was an early YC guy who was head of growth at Reddit and and um, uh, and Notion, and then some of our other friends will like rotate through. You know, is there are there any content projects you've picked up in the last year that you that you think okay we might have to sunset that or any projects that you picked up uh, around any of these things where you try it and it doesn't work. Well, I would say like on TikTok, for example, I've started to make less content on TikTok. I was like really into it in January, February and started making less because I feel like it's just right. Like the fit for like me is not 100%. Like I think the audience likes it, but it's like I prefer to be able to have like longer format to tell a story. Okay. You know? It's just easier to, I think with TikTok, it's like got to be, you know, the attention span is so short, like it's got to be really tight. And it's more for like, there's a lot of comedic stuff, like kind of like really punchy comedic that stuff works or like, you know, visual juxtapositions. Like, whereas that's not really my style, right? As much. I'm more, I'm just going to tell you some authentic stuff and, you know, people, some set of people like that, you know, Have you, but it's not, it's not as viral, I guess, in the same way. I think YouTube re rewards my YouTube content more than TikTok rewards my TikTok content. Yeah. Uh, dude, I think in terms of platforms, well, I'll ask you, if you were to put all of your investment in one platform, um, investment of energy, even, you know, if you were to make a bet with a million dollars on one platform that would pay off the best in 10 years, which one? YouTube, would hands down YouTube. I think YouTube has a long way to grow. I think the channels part of YouTube, like people following channels, I mean, they've had that for a long time, obviously since the beginning actually, but like now YouTube's really gone all in on channels, right? Like on people creating their own channels. And I think the influencer or creator world is just getting started. You know, you have like Mr. Beast making Mr. Beast Burger and, and it becoming pretty huge overnight because he's able to drive all this attention. Um, I think the same is going to be, there's going to be creators in every different category, you know, including yeah. business entrepreneurship and wellness or whatever. And so it's a great platform. 
Um, and I do feel like I'm reaching a lot of people in a positive way. I get these notes from people who are like, thank you so much for your content, like really help me through this like tough time or, you know, whatever. I talk a lot about failing and, um, you know, people see me as like, oh, you've been really successful, but just knowing that like I've wrestled with anxiety and depression or I failed at, at things, you know, even post being successful is I think a message that helps a lot of people. So, uh, YouTube is great and I think it's only going to grow. And so, um, I'm all in on YouTube, you know? Yeah. The, I think YouTube. yeah, if I could make a bet in any mature technology, I don't even just content platforms. I, I agree. I think YouTube is the one where it's just getting started. It is outrageous that I will choose to watch a podcast on YouTube that probably cost $2,000 to produce of two hilarious comedians or an episode of yours. I will choose that over a Will Smith Netflix movie that they probably put a hundred million dollars in Yeah, that I'm like taking a flyer on. I don't know if I'm actually going to get into it versus, all right, this is like ongoing character development of knowing this individual or the style of. Well, that's what I'm show. talking about. People, you know, you, that's what I said with, with the Justin TV thing is like people follow people. You know, and that kind of like authentic connection that you have with like with a creator is very powerful. Right? Yeah. Yeah. It's there's and there's something very human about the algorithm and that it's it's Balaji was on the, the podcast recently. He's famous for uh, a phrase recently. He said, I bet you came across it, but it was um, along the lines of if code scripts, machines, media scripts, humans. Yeah. And I think humans script algorithms. And it's not the other right. Other it's a reflection. Around. I mean, they're showing you people what they want to see. What, right? what so you're showing ref reflection of like what you're what you want. Exactly. So if you're complaining about the uh, the insanity or the state of the world based on what Facebook or Instagram is showing us, it's it's just a mirror back towards what that person wants to see. Right. And and YouTube, I think, has the most human algorithm and our pro human algorithm in that it is it rewards watch time it rewards engagement with the channel and it rewards long form content and you know anything over uh you know 10 minutes i'd say is long form in the world today so like a 25 minute video around this time you know xyz topic youtube wants to serve you up more and more of those and it ends up being it's not 10 seconds on like a tiktok that is visually engaging and usually I think like sexually uh, provocative and so, so much of TikTok is, and there's very little, it's, it's almost like YouTube is made for ideas and long form discussion of ideas. I don't know if there's any other platform, maybe podcasts, but that's not really quote unquote, you know, a platform for no. long form idea discussion. Well, I think that, um, to be fair, I, I do think there's like lots of different content on TikTok and it's more of like a format versus at which support, you know, it's more of a format versus like YouTube, like TikTok allows, there's like, you know, there's everything. There's like people who are doing that's true. That's content true. on TikTok or like the reels, like reels just, on Instagram is very yeah, uh, sexually, is, yeah. uh, like at least when they're kicking off the product yeah. a few months ago, it was just all dancing. Yeah. But yeah, TikTok does have some very cool education stuff. Yeah. And then with YouTube, I think, you know, they have shorts and they're adding, you know, I, I, I'm not sure if they really reward like the really long form content, but um, it's, yeah, YouTube is, it's, it's interesting because I think their algorithm surfaces their content to new people, right? Just like TikToks does. And that helps you build an audience. What is, how do you compare and contrast to Twitch? 
Well, Twitch is kind of a grind, to be honest, right? Like the, the, that's the that's the <laughs> the hard part is like with Twitch, it's like you've got to be on Twitch all the time to grow on Twitch. And with YouTube, like you know, for take me, right? Like I'm not going to be on Twitch because I got a job, right? I'm investing full time, incubating companies. I got other things to do in my day than be on Twitch. And so Twitch is, I think, really good because for like you don't have to be you have to be a certain type of entertaining. But you don't have to think of like viral ideas or anything like that, right? You just like go on and play games or there's like, you know, the acceptable. It's more like talk radio where you can like kind of fill in the white space with with something mm. um, very easy. Whereas with, you know, maybe if you're, you know, Mr. Beast or something, you're trying to come up with like viral ideas and like kind of crazy uh, ideas. It's like that's pretty hard to implement, right? So Twitch can be harder than YouTube, I think. Or sorry, it can be easier than YouTube in some ways, but then it's it's hard. It takes a lot of time. It's like a newsletter, a good newsletter to hook people. God, that seems so onerous to write a great newsletter every week or to, to keep up with the, the demand for your streams yeah. on Twitch. Does uh, Okay, tell me about L.A. What is the uh, – you were here yeah. before during the pandemic. You're back for a few weeks, um, and I think you sold your place in SF. So maybe give me just a, update, a life update on – you during the pandemic and yeah well i uh you know sold my place i moved out of san francisco moved to like rural california how, how come well you know whenever the point of living in a city is to be around other people and during the pandemic it was not you know did not you couldn't do that really right so moved out to to the middle of nowhere uh which was really nice and so still live there but it's good to come and see other people you know once in a while and so uh taking this trip to la with the family and it's been pretty good I mean, I've only been here a day so far, you know. Is there uh, plans to move back to SF? No, Actually, never, I'm asking you as a friend now. That's yeah, not even... no, I'm not moving. I'm not. I'm never moving back to SF. How come? Why do you say it like that? Why? Why? Why should I? The, the SF <laughs> SF itself is like going through. Uh, I think has a, a really serious problems. You know, like there's like the crime or at least the you know the site crime stats going down in some areas but i think that's wrong because i think reporting crime has like gone down as well i think the crime and is is like rampant in sf people don't feel safe right and so you know safety is like really low on maslow's hierarchy of needs uh so i think that's you know now maybe i'm just like an old complaining guy you know saying that no but dude I just, I re- even when we're when you and i both were living there i our car got broken into uh, three times in the first year yeah. that I was there, and it was like laughable to try to report it. Exactly, and people that are, set the tone for yeah. Whole people decade. are always breaking in to you know steal my car or steal my bikes, my car, etc. Like I've dealt with that constantly, you know. And there's nowhere you can live in SF that's like immune from that. You can be in the right. nicest neighborhood, which is not the one that I want to be in, anyways. But like, and and it's still the case. So. I think SF has some structural problems with how it's managed, uh, which make it tough to live there when you, you know, with your family and stuff like that. So, and then in the remote world where you can live anywhere and do your job, like is is SF the place that you would choose? Mm-hmm. You know, I think it's beautiful in many ways, and I love the city in, in a lot of ways. But I don't know if it's the place I would choose to live. Maybe it's time for something new for me. What is uh, what is the natural question? What is the place that? Well, I mean, I live right now in the countryside, and I like that, you know? So yeah. I think that might be it, and then I'll just come visit once in a while. Yeah. Do you think being an investor, do you think it's going to take a hit at all? 
I don't think so. I think for founders, it's better to meet all these investors by Zoom and be able to do back-to-back meetings, and then you can just raise your round in like days. It's so much easier for both sides. Right. And the investors, I don't think they're going to want to go back to only meeting in person because it's really efficient for investors, and you can live anywhere. Right. Dude, I went to a meeting yesterday in person here in LA, over um, on Montana. Um, it's a 0.8 mile, maybe a mile away. Yeah. Barely a mile. And to get an Uber, it was 17 minutes. So that made me late. Uh, so that by the time my wife got back with the car, I was like, all right, I'm going to take the car. So I was 15 minutes late, looked for parking for another 10 minutes, sat down. The whole thing was like an hour of Zoom meeting. The default is nicely at 30 minutes. So it's default. But long story short, it was an hour and 45 minutes for a meeting that. I mean, this whole podcast built around candor within seven minutes. I was like, this is, this is a poor use of time. Yeah. It was, it was actually, it, I, that's the first coffee meeting that I was like, okay, let's do it in person for the novelty. Yeah. Um, the last now you're never months. going back. You're never going back. You're only going to do zoom meetings from now from this studio. Exactly. Either zoom for 30 minutes or a podcast deep convo for 90. Yeah. Um, but there really shouldn't be anything in between. Yeah. No, I, I, I agree with you. I think this is a great f- format. And seeing people in person for this kind of interview, is that's great. But like for most things, especially if you're just getting to know someone, you don't need to do that. Right, right. Or with friends doing it in a group. Um, then it really makes it worth it uh, yeah. to, to go in person. But, um, okay, so within investing, what do you, within five years, just out of personal curiosity, what's like, what would the ideal scenario be for you between content and investing? Five years from now, the, the absolute vision board version. I don't know. I think I'm living it, you know? Yeah. Um, I spend most of my time investing and incubating companies. So GOAT Capital, our, our fund, we also incubate companies out of it. And so we're working on a few of those. Most of That's most of the day. We do content. It's great. What are I, some of the spaces you've been investing in? Or let's say this past week, that is. I was week, last week, I haven't invested in anything. Okay. But in, in the last week, what has pulled your attention space-wise? Uh, company-wise, where it's been um, around in your head, there's like some healthcare ones that I've been thinking about. So healthcare is an interest area of mine, and you know we have um, I incubated this company called Alto a couple of years right. ago, and yeah. that's doing really well. And after that, that kind of got me in, into it's a digital pharmacy company. And after that, I got into healthcare investing, and so made a couple investments out of a fund in, in the healthcare space, and uh, that's one one big area. What areas of of healthcare? So oftentimes like software to make things more efficient, you know, or make connect people in better ways. Um, it's probably pretty boring from the outside. Like I think the industry is just so massive and things are done so poorly in many ways uh, with, you know, just like having more startups innovating is a good thing. I mostly, I'm, it's mostly on the process side though. It's not like uh, new treatments or anything like that. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It is. It is like, that's a world where, the technological infrastructure is just completely missing, or at least modern technological infrastructure is completely missing. Oh, well, I think it's you know slowly being upgraded over time, just like anything. Not like I would I'd say not like most things. It's so heavily regulated that it is. It takes someone with a really big pickaxe to say, okay, we're going to build the information infrastructure. Or, uh, a company, uh, an investor in a company called Next Health, where it's just a API communications layer between oh. doctors' offices. And, and that's just a massive, that's not, you know, Slack, that's not building out uh, a communications layer like Jira. That's like, it's, 
everything that you're trying to do is three times as heavy yeah within just the compliance side of things yeah it's it's a um i mean like yeah there's a lot of like regulatory lift on that side you know building a healthcare company for sure it's not great is it are there uh what are some other spaces that goat and does it actually just backing up does go capital do you think about things in terms of spaces or theses well it's 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 just interesting because my partner and i uh are a little bit different so robin it's just the two of us uh and it's a you know we're like a seed fund and we participate in some series a's and um robin is much more he's like a hunter gatherer so he's like, or like a hunter, I guess. He's like going out, he has a thesis and he's like, okay, I want to go find a company like this, right? So for example, um, maybe a year and a half ago, he was like, oh, Justin, we should, you know, someone should create a genetically modified organism, like a GMO tree company, like a company that has GMO trees to pull more carbon, carbon out, yeah, out of the atmosphere. And then we actually went and found it. So we found this company called Living Carbon. Uh, they do exactly that. Um, based in San Francisco, uh, founder wow. Matty Hall's really incredible, dynamic young founder. And that's an example of like he has a thesis of like, this is a way you could attack a certain problem or here's a big industry that's about to happen. Climate change is one of the ones he's particularly interested in. Maybe we both are. And so uh, then he'll go out and like find a company, right? And then I'm more like, I would consider myself like a farmer. I'm like agriculture, right? I'm out there making my YouTube videos and I got a lot of like, like relationships he does too actually probably more than me but like of people who send me stuff and then i just aggregate all the deals and kind of parse and then i'm more interested kind of like the y combinator style it's like yc funds the companies where that apply right it's like Mm -hmm. funds out of the pool of applicants i'm mostly like looking at the people who i get in touch with or get in touch with me and i'm like okay this is a good business and this is good business this isn't and i just try to fund the ones that are i think are good yeah is there anything that has changed over the years that you've been investing where your mindset has shifted, where you're doing it differently? Yeah, I think I've gotten more picky, you know, and more willing to trust my gut. I think a lot, I used to invest more into things where I thought it was a good idea, but maybe I like had some feeling that it was like, wasn't quite right for whatever reason. Maybe the founder wasn't right or whatever. Um, and I think that's always a mistake. Is I've never been what, like, what's a mistake? Say it again. I've never thought like, this is a, you know, my, I've never, had the gut feeling that it was like actually probably not a good investment, but like it seemed like really good on paper. So I invested anyways and that been good. Yeah. You know, had a good outcome. Is, has part of that been Robin and having a partner? Yeah. Robin, it's good to talk through, through things with, with someone. So like, it's also like, I don't make on the fly decisions very much anymore where I'm like, Oh, I for sure want, I used to be like, have one meeting and be like, okay, I want to invest. Now it's like, it's, I think I have a little more discipline around like, okay, I'll wait a day and see how I feel. And then, like do some more research and and then you know decide then how do you compare investing versus building for how it speaks well, to investing your soul, investing is like way easier you know so in, so, easier. in so many ways but i think it, more importantly um you know with i realized that i just like the things you have to do when you're investing more than i like the things you have to do when you're building something so when like investing what? it's like you are learning about new spaces you're meeting new people and you are raising capital. Like, I love those things, right? Um, and helping people out and mentoring them, right? Mm-hmm. Once you've made the investment. On the building side, you're like managing people, you are recruiting, you're, you're building a product, 
It's just like I don't want to do those things most of the day, most times. <laughs> like that, I don't want to I'd rather spend my time doing the investing side. Do you ever look at a founder that's going into that and like, man? I think there's certain did, founders how... where they'd be better off as investors for sure. Mm -hmm. But I mean, everyone should have their try. Mm -hmm. Well, and uh, Warren Buffett says, you know, it's and I believe this strongly that being a businessman uh, in his in his view, viewpoint, he says being a businessman has made me a better investor. Or being an investor has made me. Yeah, a I, I believe that 100 percent. I wouldn't know what to imagine. Would you have been a decent investor had you not? Well, I think right before? right now everybody's a good investor because they're investing in this massive like, you know, 12 year bull market. Right. So do you think <laughs> like I probably would have been? Yeah, the same, same kind of uh, on paper success story as an yeah. investor, you think? Yeah, I think so. I mean, just anyone who's like been investing in technology for the last 12 years looks like a genius right now. Mm -hmm. So, you know. That is so, so true. Yeah, I had some that have done really well and, and it's so easy to be like, oh man, I think I'm really good at this. Yeah. And especially in, con in comparison to, actually I had the sad realization probably a year ago, I was like, man, I think I'm a better investor than founder. Why was that sad? It's sad. I guess sad because I um, I love making things. Yeah. Really love making things. And oh, and I'm happy to be pleasantly surprised if I'm wrong in this, but I love making things. And I think building a company is just a, a, the most sustainable way to continue to make things. Yeah. So the investing side is more of a money management type of pursuit. And it is encouraging. I love encouraging creators that is also uh speaks to my soul but if i couldn't make things then uh yeah that would that would totally destroy my soul so figuring out that i was a better investor than someone that could maybe make things on a grand scale yeah was like shit okay this kind of sucks because i love making and i really i guess i tie companies and entrepreneurship to the most sustainable you know, yeah. artistic, artistic expression. Well, I mean, it occurs to me that you could make stuff and not be the best in the world at it and be okay with that. Right. Right. And I think it's, it's actually the, uh, this concept that I am trying to, to put out in the world is surrenderipity. So serendipity yeah. from just surrendering to whatever the universe kind of has in store. I love that. And so I'm okay with making that observation of, okay, here to here to four, 14 years into building things, maybe I'm a better investor, but maybe in a very good, uh, in a good positive way, you're right in that. No, the bull market makes you think that makes me think that I'm a decent investor, but it's actually. Well, I think that there's some part or some of both, right? You're like a pretty smart guy and um, able to meet people and do some analysis on their businesses and you've picked some really great businesses, you know, and you've been investing in this massive bull market. So you're very lucky to be in the right place at the right time. Right. So yeah. Probably, probably some of both, just like entrepreneurship. Yeah, definitely. There's a uh, timing is, is so, so important in it. Do you think there's a, this is the, the dumbest and yet the most interesting question to ask really smart friends. But when you say it's been a 12 year bull market, there seems to be some implicit communication that you think it's, it could be coming to an end. No, I actually don't think that necessarily. Really? Yeah. Okay. So tell me more. What do you think is going to happen with, or how would you respond to someone saying, all right, it's been a 12 year old bull, bull market, a crash could be coming and tech is so wildly overvalued. Uh, well, I don't think tech is, in general is wildly overvalued. I feel like we're going through this massive digital transformation 
of our economy that's going to take 100 years and we're like 30 years in, you know. And so to me, it's just huge, it continues to be a huge opportunity, you know. It's like Bitcoin. It's like super valuable now and t appreciated 10x in the last year or whatever, 5x in the last year. But I think it's going to, you know, my price target is in the hundreds of thousands of dollars. So mm -hmm. I, I think it's probably, you know, it doesn't just because of what has happened in the last whatever period of time doesn't necessarily mean anything about the future. I think um, for tech, it's just, I think it's every company is becoming a tech company. So there's just huge opportunity, I think, in, in to fueling that transformation. So I think now's still a great time to invest. But I, but also, like, we've been riding that train. And so the point is more like, you people who've been on the train for the last 10 years have done really well. So, you know, that's, they've been lucky also. And arguably are in the best position to, to continue to being continue lucky. To continue to be lucky in yeah. the next 10. This episode is brought to you by a little sipper called Magic Mind. Ever wake up in the morning wondering, what am I doing with my life? Well, what you probably aren't doing is sipping on than Magic Minds. Magic Mind is a two ounce shot, matcha, nootropics, adaptogens, functional mushrooms, everything in a morning ritual drink that you've ever wanted. You take it alongside your morning coffee or tea, you get seven hours of creative, productive flow. It has 12 magical ingredients that all combine for everything you'd want in a shot. Energy, cognition, de-stressing, immunity support, everything in this two ounce beautiful shot that tastes delicioso. So go check it out, magicmind.co. Enter promo code BTL. That's BTL for below the line for 20% off. Magicmind.co. Go check it out and get them sippers. Tell me about your personal transformation. So maybe your mindset hasn't shifted too much on the investing side, but your personal transformation. We find ourselves in LA, you got long hair. It's yeah. come a far, a, a far, a long way from. We met January of 2012. So. Yeah, it's been nine years. Yeah. I realized I was thinking about that this morning. It's like, wow, well, you know, now we're old friends, dude. I know because you're, we're both old. We are so. both old. We both have kids. Um, yeah. I remember the first time I met you. Um, we met in the back of YC. We were in the same batch, um, and you had been third before, so you really knew ins and outs yeah. and we we're in the back of the room we sat down next to each other we we're eating dinner and i think everybody in the batch knew who you were and we were sitting down um eating dinner and there and then you you kind of ended the conversation everyone was continuing talking talking you were typing and i think you were coding um for exec at the time yeah and i remember feeling like this guy's kind of tough he's a tough cookie oh yeah well, what 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 made you say that? I think there was, um, to be honest, I think there was a, a look at other companies, and I think it was almost. I got the vibe, and this could have just been in my head that it was like, this is competition. Mm. These other companies are competition, mm. and it's, maybe maybe not direct way, but some indirect yeah. way. I think I have a I have a you know one thing I've I've learned a lot about myself in the last couple of years, and we kind of talked about this on the podcast in the last couple of episodes, right? That that we did together, and one of the things I've learned about myself more recently is that. I have a look by default that's like disinterested 
but then it goes to like I'm very warm and engaging. I can be very warm and engaging, but then I also like have this flat, disinterested look, like by default. So it's like um, kind of like a random reward ratio for people, <laughs> like a variable reward system where people like they're like, oh, I want the engaging Justin, but like sometimes I'm getting the like Justin who just like thinks like he's like really? not interested, and and that, I think that makes people want it more actually. And so I've gotten this feedback from people in um, various contexts where it's like. If I was just like not engaging all the time, people would be like, okay, fuck that guy, right? And they'd just be like, whatever. But because it's kind of like so, there's like a glimpse or they like see that like, you know, in, that, that that thing that pulls them in and then it's like taken away, it's like a, um, it creates this like, uh, people are like kind of like, what the fuck? Or they're like, they're like left wanting more. And I think that was a learned behavior from when I was a kid where, well, I think part of it's natural, like genetic or, you know, whatever. That's kind of like my natural state. But then I think part of it is like a learned behavior from when I was a kid. And um, one of my friends, I did this program called uh, Leaders in Tech. I, I think I might have talked about it before on the podcast. But basically it's like a, so. a um, it was kind of a program, like a, like a year-long group, right? Like monthly meeting group. And it's kicked off with this like, and this this like intense workshop basically called a T group where everyone you know you have twelve people in a circle, it's facilitated and you just talk for like forty hours about how the other people are making you feel for forty hours. Forty hours over the course of four okay. days. <laughs> yeah. All right. Damn. And it was like thirty six hours or something like that. It was wow. like a lot. And I learned about my so much about myself and reflected by these other people who are strangers. Right. You don't know anyone in the room. And. Um, Anyways, after that, in one of these like follow-on meetings, one of my friends told me, she was like, you have this natural way of creating a power dynamic between like putting yourself in a position of relative power to the people around you. And it's almost like uh, like a reality distortion field or whatever. And there's many ways that you can you do it. And I was aware of some of them, but I had never heard of it like that. Is this someone that knew you well? Yeah, she just... knew me well through this program, right? Like, I mean, once you spend like 36 hours with someone and then like, you know, we were in the group, ongoing group together. So we'd spent like, you know, 70 hours together, right? Or something like that. Um, right. In like really intense, like workshopping style conversation, not just like casual. And so it was interesting to hear that and it, it resonated with me. And uh, I guess... My point is like when we first met, I think there was probably some of that dynamic at play that I was just doing subconsciously without even knowing it. So from my experience, I was there was kind of this. It, I think there was a physical distancing, of maybe mm -hmm. an inch or two, of like, who is this that's coming to sit down next to? Maybe there's like two or three other people. Kind of physical distancing. There was kind of a I don't know why I remember, I remember this kind of cold. I think or vividly, and and the the coldness of it. I think because. Because in our in our batch you were well known, and so I was I don't know maybe three weeks in two weeks in I was like oh okay sweet I'm gonna sit next to yeah Justin and say hey and it was yeah this this two inch just uh, tilted head kind of distancing and kind of a a little bit of a cold look not not super cold I'm being yeah I'm being like no um, tell it later yeah I'm not yeah. I'm not uh, sugarcoating this at all and then. Kind of like a, it's interesting that you articulate that way. There maybe there was this establishment of you're on probation right now <laughs> of yeah. uh, of this conversation. But I will say that's so different than I feel like the Justin of the last three, four, five years. Yeah, and and I obviously part of that could be our friendship, but I actually think it's. You also, your default, it seems to have changed towards, I remember we were going into 
um, another friend's apartment. And I remember seeing you as we were going in, whatever, eight in the morning, and you saw me from 50 feet away and the warmest smile, mm -hmm. like, dude, James. Yeah. And I was, I was like, I think it took me by surprise. But since then, that's, it's, that's probably been two years, uh, three years. Yeah, Each three time years I see ago. you, there's a default really high warmth. Well, so, so I don't remember if you remember, but, um, that was always there. Right. And that like, uh, you'll remember, like we had that party bus that we funded with tilt. Right. right? right. And so like, I love to host people and engage with people. And like in that, I think that was the first time we really hung out. And that was like, we were best friends, right. Not just like uh, we're in the same YC batch or whatever. And I don't know how your impression was, but like, I think it was, you know, I remember myself being very engaged with people around, you know, during right. that. I think the difference is just most of the time before, like before this like, you know, transformation the last couple of years, I was like mostly engaged with ideas and not that interested in other people. It's mostly interested in myself. Actually, mm -hmm. I was like someone who put myself in the center of the universe. And um, I think more recently, I've like just become more interested in people and like been interested in engaging and curious and excited about the people around more than the ideas. Walk me through part of that transformation. We've chatted about We've broached the topic on previous episodes. Yeah. Well, I think it's I a lot of it. it I think on. a lot of it is really learning that in, that people, you can learn something, really internalizing that. You can learn something from anybody. You know, you can learn something from anybody and everybody, and there's something interesting about every person. Um, and having that mindset, you know, and really trying to, you know, hold that context has really been a, a big part of it, I think. Um and then the other part is I think before I was really engaged with the world of ideas and, you know, specifically startups and, and business, but I was engaged with the world of ideas because I was like, this is, you know, I was always an extrovert. I wanted to, the attention and, and to connection with other people, but I didn't know how to get it, I think, when I was a kid. And so I created this like defense mechanism around, you know, kind of these ways of putting myself in, in, in positions of relative powers, like mm. how I put it. Then I was like, well, if I just get become successful then and then i'll people will be attracted to me right and that was what i you know the whole thing of working on twitch and, and startups and right. eventually becoming successful and then of course it doesn't like change anything really and then after that it was realizing this there's a shift where i was like oh actually the real way to connect with people is just to be curious and interested and open to them hmm. like you don't need to be super rich or famous or whatever you know and that like works a lot better actually and so I think that realization plus the like be, becoming genuinely interested in the people around me is like what the transformation was. Were there any specific events or any specific? No, really, it was just like a lot of learning over time, you know. Really? Yeah. Is part of that a growing security with yourself and, and not needing to uh, get to a certain place in your mind through business? Or through you know that ideas. could be I think that that's a valid question and maybe that's part of it I think a lot of it was that part was always always there and I think that there's a part where I like love people and I like love to engage you know I was a very warm person and I think that came out when I was you know, hosting people you're and right like and that. you are totally right on that they uh, I remember going to your apartment and and the party bus and it was complete like hospitality and warmth right that was just like five percent of the time and 95 percent of the time was like okay i'm working on this business and like what are you talking about you're boring right like and then so people would get this like random reward ratio and they'd be like want the it's like a slot machine they want the like warm justin right, right. and then i think it's just the ratio has changed a lot 
you know. Yeah, I remember I wanted you to become an investor in Tilt so that we would. It was almost like, it's like, and I think maybe part of yeah, this, you wanted it super badly, right? Like I think, yeah, it, yeah, yeah, I yeah. remember that. Really, tell me what you remember of it. Well, I remember you coming around and like being like, "Hey, I want you to invest," and I think there was, I broke down. I do remember I broke down. I was like, "Look, if it was like a fifty million dollar valuation or something like that," and I was like, "This is like not a good investment for these." you know, economic reasons. I don't remember what the reasons were at the time, but I think the valuation just like, I was like, here's the range of outcomes that I think it could possibly be. Yeah. And then I was like, so I just think that's like the out, the range of the expected value is like not high enough. Right. No, and you can be totally, I want you to be totally. No, I think that's what I said. Right. As well. That's something like that. Yeah. And then I think you, did you make the deal better for me? I think so. I've made you an advisor as well. Yeah. So you made the deal better for me and I was like, okay, that like brings it into the range. So I'll, I'll solve invest. But I, you didn't have to do that, right? You had all the money you needed. You didn't have to do that. I think you specifically wanted me to invest. Yeah, and I think it's because maybe it's that that. So I'm in your head. With yes, that, no, like, you were. I that, think you were living yeah. rent free in my head. <laughs> like I've got to get just you know. And I think maybe part of this. I wonder if you being the oldest sibling is also part of the the comfort of this power dynamic. I I always have discomfort as a youngest of five. Yeah. I always have discomfort. Yeah. As I I hate authority. Like yeah. I distrust it with uh, four, specifically three older brother being, you know, tyrant, tyrant yeah. uh, authority figures yeah. in the household. But I remember also being so wired, or no, I am so wired. And I remember having this realization a few years ago that I'm so wired to, I, it's not just I want everyone to like me for the benefits of being liked. Being the youngest of five, I think it's in my head of like, I don't get to belong unless i'm spot checking making sure that everybody right wants right. me to be there yeah and and uh and then i'm liked yeah and so i remember uh with almost every yc partner invested and i was like justin didn't, didn't yeah. even show interest so yeah I came <laughs> to pitch you yeah to get you to join yeah i remember that um yeah i think that's right i'm the oldest right and so it's for me I think a lot of it came from my mom. I would see that how she, you know, she was I'm very similar to my mom in a lot of ways. And then also my dad. In some ways, my dad is like, he's kind of has that passive look that's just like not, kind of like disinterested look by default. Like, I don't think that necessarily reflects what's going on on the inside all the time. But like, that's kind of like a default look. So I think I have that similarly. And my mom can be very warm and effusive and like kind of really interested in people. So it's kind of like flips back and forth between those, you know. Right. And Where do you think it comes from with your, with your dad? I think he's, he's a little bit like, doesn't, you know, that's kind of just the, his family environment. Like they were not that communicative, you know, that was the impression I got. I wasn't there, but yeah. yeah. I, yeah. And I remember, um, this feeling of like, God, there's some distance between, um, uh, this person that I admire and I want to get him on the same team. It was like I even before getting yeah. into invest, it was like literally like, how do I just we're gonna we bump into each other a few months and I want him on the same team. And I was like, Oh, let me get him to invest way after the seed yeah. round. And it so there was it does I think work in your favor and that it does I think it I think it does. I think it does work in my favor. I think it's a learned habit that's like a defense uh, maybe defense mechanism might be the wrong word, but like a way that I've learned to it's an adaptive response to shape the world to revolve the world around me you know mm-hmm. and and that makes me feel because i always felt like like an outsider and like i didn't connect with people that like makes me feel like 
You I'm an insider. Like yeah, when I was growing up. Really? Why? Yeah, I think in school settings. Yeah, in school and just like I, I don't think I got the approval from my peers that I always wanted. You know, and so that was a major driver in like oh, become successful, etc. And so I think that this is like a learned behavior to create, you know, put myself in the position of power and like have the world orbit around me, right? What was thirteen-year-old Justin like? I mean, I was a I was a nerd, and I, but I was kind of like the the popular nerd in the group of nerds, right? And so you know, I kind of created my own like little domain, but um, I was always like looking at the cool kids and like wanting to be wanting to be accepted. That's that's interesting. I was, no. I think I was probably the nerdy kid in the popular group, mm -hmm. and so the the inverse of that, still looking in, barely let in yeah. to the border. And looking into that, you know, epicenter that uh, you you want to be in, or that will serve some validation that you're doing this whole life thing right. Yeah, um, I was kind of in there, but I was definitely the 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 nerdiest of of my group of friends. It was almost like forced to be into the interests that they had when I had these separate interests. But it was like my own separate interests be damned. Yeah, I need to feel this belonging yep. in this group. There's an interview question that can't remember who who says the question, but it's along the lines of tell me something that happened between before your 18th birthday that helped shape who you've become. You've been on the podcast before and I've asked tell me three stories that have helped shape who you've become. But I wanted to ask you if there was something before the age of 18 that you'd look back and say, okay, that's that certainly shaped who I've become. That's a good question. To think about that. Is there something that's shaped who I've become from? I mean, I'm sure like everything, right? But it's like hard right. to draw the parallels back to a specific thing. Um, like, what are the memories that I remember? Even I have like a very bad memory of my childhood, which I feel like is probably some sort of adaptive response to. <laughs> you know, there's probably a lot of things that like were like memories that I have of being in the out group. You know. Um, like I like remember, like I remember, you know, when I was like 13 or something, I had like, I was wearing like a, some t-shirt that was like super big. And like this one girl in my class was like making fun of me of this like t-shirt. And she was like, it looks like you're showing cleavage. You know, it was like big neck hole or something <laughs> like a total, like it was probably what I would be wearing today, to be honest, like in LA, you know, like a giant, <laughs> yeah, it's come back like, in style. yeah, giant neck and baggy t-shirt, you know, um, looking like a DJ or something, but at the time it was not cool. And I just remember, I remember that, like feeling like I was on the outside. It's a small thing, you know, it wasn't like the biggest thing. I'm surprised I still remember it. Dude, I remember in sixth grade, so I was wearing a, a yellow, apparently a too bright yellow shirt. And someone said, I wouldn't be a friend's older brother at school. It's like, I wouldn't be caught dead in that shirt. <laughs> and I was like, that's a weird, maybe yeah. the first time I came across that phrase, I was like, he wouldn't be caught dead in this shirt. I need to be thinking about the clothes I'm going to potentially be caught dead, dead in. <laughs> and it shouldn't be the shirt. And yeah, that totally mm -hmm. stuck with me. I never wore that shirt ever again. Yeah. Maybe it's those small things, you know. But I can't point to like one like big thing where it's like this is, this was like shaped me in the specific direction, you know. It's I'm probably like all these small incidences. Well, and, I, and I'm sure for being an older brother to two super smart Younger brothers, I'm sure that's been uh, that's been part of that just continuation of shaping you. Do you ever do you ever think about sibling order in terms of? Well, I think the sibling order definitely affected our family a lot. You know, I think I'm classic first kid. You know, like 
achiever. Like my mom put a lot of energy into like making sure that like I was good at math. For example, I was like remedial at math when I was in grade school. My mom is a physics major was like, there's no fucking way I'm going to have like a kid who's like bad at math. So she would like make me do extra homework basically. And she would do it by writing the problems like multiplication problems and addition, you know, basic arithmetic in like colored pencils. So it'd be, mm -hmm. she would call them colored problems. And it'd be like, you know, I'd have to basically do this extra problem sets like to practice so that I could be like decent at math. And, and Dan didn't get that. Dan no, I don't, I, maybe they did a little bit, but they were just, it, you know, it's like you have as a parent, naturally you have more demands on your time when you have this second, third kid. So I think it was, they didn't get as much, you know, pushing slash tutoring slash, you know, you know, help in that way. And mm -hmm. so I think I was a classic achiever for older kid with a big chip on my shoulder and like, am I doing enough to like achieve enough? I think Daniel was like classic, like middle brother, like a little bit in my shadow, in my shadow and like resentful of that. And um, that also drove him obviously to do really big things. Well, mm -hmm. maybe that's not the only, I shouldn't say that's the thing that drove him, but like, you know, I, I think that was, that is something that he, he, you know, let's just say that I was super thrilled when, you know, when they sold Cruise, my brother's co-founder of Cruise, uh, and they sold Cruise at GM for a billion dollars, I was like, that was, I was so happy because I was like, people, I, I remember one person, I was at a conference or someone was like, because he was in Silicon Valley for like years, right? Right. And we oh, started dude, he's in our together. batch, yeah. Yeah, we started a company together, he was still in Silicon Valley for years, and then people would always be like, oh, you're Justin's brother, right? Because mm -hmm. I was like out there, it's like, I'm doing the startup, and I was like very vocal and visible, and I think he hated that shit. And then I remember there was one moment when we were at a conference and somebody was like, are you Dan's brother? And I was like, oh, there we go. Wow. <laughs> Tables that, are turned. Does that play in an older brother? I've got three older brothers and curious if that plays in your head of your success. Does it go through your mind of, okay, this is going to have its implications on, on my family members? Oh, like are they going to have some chip about it? Uh, yeah. Either that interpersonally with you or just I don't want them to compare themselves to, to me when we're sitting around Thanksgiving dinner and, and it potentially comes up. Yeah, no, I just, I've always been like somebody, I think by default, I always put myself in the center of the universe. So it's like, that has never crossed my mind to be honest. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. yeah, go ahead. Yeah. I was going to say my youngest brother, Damien is, he's like classic youngest brother is like, he's finding a new axis of competition. You know, he is like, no, not interested in competing in the, like, oh, I'm going to be the best startup founder or something like that. He's more interested in, like, climbing and, like, living his life. Like, mm -hmm. you know, and, and I think that's, like, much more healthy in many ways. Yeah, that's, uh, that's interesting. Although he did end up founding a company that's, like, pretty successful. Which one did Damien found? I, this company called Shogun. I think oh, yeah. They just announced they raised, like, that's $67 right. million dollars yesterday. They're huge. The yeah. Shopify. Yeah, the Shopify app yeah. app, yeah. Yeah, dude, that's awesome. I didn't know he was a co-founder of Shogun. Yeah, they started out of my house, like, Six years ago, something like that. Oh shit! Ah, oh, that's awesome. Yeah, dude, the Con Bros. I got to keep tabs on all three. There is just three of you, right? <laughs> There's just three. All right. Well, I have a cousin. She's in HBS right now. I have a lot of cousins. Uh -huh. I have a lot of cousins, but one of my favorite cousins is at HBS, and she, uh, you know, maybe one day she'll start a startup. She's gonna get in the startup game. Well, she's she's currently a McKinsey consultant. Oh god. And I'm like, she was in startups, and then now she's interning at McKinsey. Yeah, tell, tell her it's a waste of life. Yeah, dude. If you're listening to this episode, what's her name? Ariel. Or Ariel. If she goes by Victoria. Victoria, terrible idea to go into Terrible consulting. idea. Terrible Especially idea. Especially if you think it's going to broaden your horizons and open doors. That is literally what systems tell you to gobble you up and never let you go. Were you ever a consultant? No. 
dude I, all i know is startup stuff <laughs> look I, the at only, that look of disdain i love that oh dude it's it's like uh it's like you know getting a phd it's basically just a corridor within a narrower corridor within a narrower corridor corridor of of just basically like it's like investment banking you go do the two-year analyst program because it's gonna open doors it's to be fair i do think it does you're gonna have so many options on the yeah. other side of it yeah People do. I mean, if you want to go into finance, you get options. That's yeah, options. But then the options, then it's like now you do this other thing. Now you yeah. become uh, go be a principal at a hedge fund. It's going to give yeah. you options. And then you you find yourself you're 45 and you're like fuck. I have quote unquote options, and I've been chasing options the whole time. Yeah. Instead of actually living life, designing life, being I think being useful. Like I, there we go. PSA. Yeah. That's, yeah. Consultants are the. I mean, you know the adage, it's still steal your watch and tell you what time it is. Yeah. Uh, and so I think it's, maybe it's interesting for a year or two, but as long as it's leading towards uh, or the realization that making something is better. I think that's a question I have for you. On the investment side and content creation side, after Atrium, do you think you're going to start something again? And you're incubating ideas. Well, we're incubating ideas, but to be clear, I, I'm not the CEO of them. You know, I got to work with partners who have like, a lot of guts and energy still, you know, I'm an old, I'm, I'm old and washed up, you know, <laughs> I'm like, I'm like the drunk at the bar who's like a retired boxer who's got knocked out too many times that, you know, you're drafting to <laughs> becoming the coach. Yeah. You, you, know? but you still got tra- ideas. I'm going to tra- train Creed, you know? Yeah, that's yeah. right. That's awesome. Do you really think of yourself like that or do you think? Yeah, for sure, man. I'm too, I'm way like when, when like, we started Justin TV. I would have slipped my own wrist to be successful, mm-hmm. for sure. Like it was my whole ego, my whole identity. It's very unhealthy in many ways. <laughs> but now I wouldn't. Like I'm like, I'm my life is great. I got a family. I spend time with my family. Like I, you know, I didn't have those constraints when I was when I was a kid. How do you, as a as a friend that thinks so deeply and is trying to, I think, in a similar vein of of my work with this podcast or investing in writing elevate the consciousness around creation how do you balance that mentality you have with i don't know next tuesday make an investment in a company where you're like i kind of like that that founder well the honest truth is everybody has to go through their own experience you know i can tell somebody oh it's not gonna make you happy to be successful but there's gonna be some percentage of people who need to figure that out on themselves this is one of my favorite books is a book called siddhartha have you read it by Herman Hesse? Yeah, oh yeah, yeah. Of course. So in the book, Siddhartha has a kid uh, that he doesn't know about, and then later in the later part of the book, he, his kid uh, he find, was reunited with his kid, and his kid is like, um, you know, into all this bad behavior, and he's like talking to his friend, and he's like, oh, why can't I teach my kid to avoid all these mistakes that I made? Basically, he's like, you can't. Like he has to go. You can't deprive him of that experience. He has to go live him live his life for himself. Mm. So I think of that when I invest in companies where the the founder has like a major chip on their shoulder and they have something to prove, it's like, well, they got to discover it for themselves. How who am I to deprive them of that journey? There's there's a lot of truth in that, and it's uh, what's the the quote of a fool must persist in their folly to become wise. But is there is there an ideal mindset that you'd say that you that you will look at from the other side of the proverbial table as an investor? Where you're like, okay. I really dig this person's mindset. 
well, I think it's people who are learning, right? Like some, you know, a lot of people have something to prove, but if they're, they have a mindset of learning and a growth mindset, it works in the beginning. It's like the bootloader, like having something to prove works in the beginning, but eventually you get some, you get burned out of that and you have to find a higher purpose for your work. Mm-hmm. And sometimes people have that in the beginning, right? Uh, and sometimes people think they have it and they don't yet. That's okay too. And eventually though, every great CEO that I know has found has transformed from somebody who had a lot to prove to somebody who has a higher purpose for their work. Mm. And I think that is a natural transformation. So if I can help them, you know, if they have a growth mindset, I think they'll eventually get there. Mm-hmm. And so if I can help them guide them in that direction, that's great. You know? what, what would be an example in your mind where you've seen that, that transformation? Where um, like, they started with a certain set of reasons for starting the company. And- well, I don't want to say like it's hard for me to be like put people on blast and be like I don't think their reasons were like good in the beginning, right? Like, but let me just say there's like a lot of Decacorn company friends that like I feel like that was the case where they started off with like you know they just want to create a company and like have be successful, which is not bad. Like that's most people in a, our society, right? Mm-hmm. Thinking like if I'm successful, then a lot of my problems would be solved. But eventually they turned into like wow, I really care about this community this being a leader being like being building this product like that's you know that's the thing that that uh drives me more than any of the other like outside accolades or anything like that Mm. and to me the most successful founders who still run their companies make that transition uh for our last question since we last chatted uh, and it was during my book launch it was a lot man that was a live event so very pre-covid what is the can you walk me through the the emotional arc with atrium and and having to wind it down um how long ago was that was a year and a half ago a year and a half ago or like right before covid yeah so what was walk me through the emotional arc of atrium even six months before well i think that's when we last talked right and so i mean it well was... even before starting atrium like walk me through that emotional arc of okay, I'm going to start something again, and and all the way through to um, winding it down. Yeah, I mean, I th- so it's like excitement, right? I, you know, I was excited about this new idea. I love ideas, and I started. And then there was just like huge stress and uh, difficulty in terms of really making the business work. It's a very operationally intensive business. I don't think I was like particularly well suited for that or prepared for it. And then eventually, like when you know, fast forwarding the shutdown, it's like usually people shut things down when they run out of ideas. And we did not, I did not have any ideas for how to transform the business to what I thought was a venture backable business. And it got to the point where it's like, the, this is not a business I would invest my own capital in. So we should like shut it down to return the money because otherwise we're just wasting money in my opinion. And were you at an emotional low or was this? No, I was just actually, I don't think I was at an emotional low. I think I was an emotional low years before that, mm. you know? And so this was actually like just more, Oh, this is a, if I'm being honest, right? Like, um, if I'm being high integrity with like what I actually think, and then the, this is the, my truth, you know, mm-hmm. I don't believe that this is a good business as it stands. And so then the right thing to do was shut it down. And it was difficult. It was very sad. There was a lot of grief because I built a team that I really loved. But um, at the end of the day, it was like, that was the right thing to do is what it felt like. What were some of them? some of the learnings that you reflect on afterwards for if you if you were to go back to you i think the most six months Im- yeah the most important thing is just like start something where you have that higher purpose go tying back to what i just said right that like you want to start something where you have a higher purpose not you're not a mercenary you're a missionary 
Because then when things like don't look like a great business or they're like things are going badly, like you're going to want to stick with it, you know, for other reasons. What would you say to someone that's listening to this and might say, well, you'd already sold a company for a billion dollars. And so was it out of just, would you have been able to make that decision of, okay, let's just wind it down, walk away if the maybe Maybe not. It could, be, it could have been different. Has that informed, has that experience informed your investing of second time founders that have been wildly successful? Yeah, before? I think, I think, in, I think I'm much more skeptical of investing in second time founders. Just, I think a lot of people just want to invest in them because they've done it before. And I think you really have to like, think, is this person highly motivated? Are they, you know, are they working on a good business? Are they going to, yeah, I think there's a lot of, I would just still do the, the you know, check the boxes instead of being a, getting caught up in the reality distortion field. Right. What is the ideal? This is so um, high level. So it's very hard to, to, uh, to take this away for a listener to take uh, anything away from this verbatim, but what would be the ideal if, if a second time founder that's been wildly successful before you're skeptical of what would the archetype of the founder where, you're seven minutes into the conversation. And you're like, okay, I really dig this type of individual. I, I like, I really like the people who are humble, but they're grinders and they're like, they, they don't have a lot of ego. They just dedicated to like, I'm, this is my mission and I'm going to keep my head down and figure it out. Um, and those are the people who I think are, you know, build the best companies. Is there someone that comes to mind that you invest in? Yeah. There's a couple companies more recently that are like kind of newly, you know, doing really well. Not newly, we're doing really well, but maybe more in the public eye. But my uh, um, Matt, like uh, a Mash Aslan from Alto, so co-founder of Alto, is the CEO, and he was like that way, just like heads down, figure, figuring things out, you know, just like always learning from people around him. But really, at the end of the day, would like do whatever it takes to like get it to work, and he's like a very humble person. The same is true of like uh, one of my friends, Moses Lowe, who started this company called Zendit, which is kind of like Stripe for Indonesia and Southeast Asia. Mm. And uh, the company's doing really well. Similar things, just a very humble person who's like always learning from people and just building like an amazing company one step at a time. Mm. It's really after the fact that I learned to love founders yeah. so much more. But send updates, they're just knocking things out. And there's really little to no celebration around it. But it's just like whether it's a growth graph going up and to the right, and they're like, you talk to them about it. And it's so nonchalant. Yeah. And there's no, there is no hu growing hubris. Because you also have, I'm sure you have um, founders in your portfolio where you, you can see a growing hubris as they start to accomplish more. Yeah, for sure. And it's, yeah, it's uh, which is a ticking time bomb. Yeah, um, you want the people, like humility is important because there's always things you're going to have to learn and like figure out from that are hard. And if you are not, humble about it you're not like that's going to prevent you from having an open mind what is your what would you say in all of your reflection for someone that's done so much i know i said last question but this will be the last one that said so much internal reflection transformation uh in so many ways i would say what is what are your strengths and weaknesses like what are the things that you just now know you are not good at yeah um, if you are looking at yourself too invest in your next thing well you already said you you won't start it yeah the boxer that would rather train 
train other boxers then go out again yeah so i'm my strength you know my strength is i'm a great evangelist you know for things that that's the number one thing i'm great a great evangelist and i can catalyze people to into action um that's like the really the vice superpower like everything else is kind of like i think i'm a okay at a bunch of things and um you know that's it though and then the my weakness is that i is also strength it's like my strength is also i'm interested in new ideas weakness i'm also interested in new ideas every i actually think everything that's a strength is also a weakness right right, right. so like with new ideas it's like i'm interested in new ideas i'm open to new ideas but the pro- downside is like it's hard for me to stick to one thing right mm. with the uh which you know if you want to be great at something you got to stick to something uh with the evangelism it's like i'm great at recruiting people the the down and and catalyzing around an idea the downside is like oftentimes i'm like f- drinking my own kool-aid too much you know mm-hmm. and then it's like i'm not that that's a its own form of not being open to feedback in a way right if i know all the answers on like why this is going to be an amazing business then i might not learn enough about like what i you know downsides or things that aren't working or or, or whatever you know yeah. um so makes for a great yeah. great investor yeah, I think so. Why did right. you pause? I'm, I'm just trying to think. Is that true? Evan- an evangelist and someone that loves new ideas. New things. Yeah, that's why I think I, I, investing is very activating for me. Mm. You know, I think you're going to be. You already are great at, it, but I think you're going to be. Uh, despite losing your money with Tilt, which apologies. No, that's and all right. For listeners, you can that's become good. friends with. You can stay friends with your investors even exactly. if you lose their money. Sufficient if they are sufficiently wealthy. If that was the only money I had, I might feel a little, uh, a little, some type of way about it. I didn't know at the time, but thank God Twitch did well. Well, <laughs> Justin, thank you so much for uh, your generosity of time and insight, man. I love chatting with you, and uh, I hope to get you down here in LA more, yeah. more and more as time goes on, and maybe permanently one day. It'll happen, maybe. I love it. All right, all right, buddy. Thanks, bro. Thank you. Bye.